right, a little over 30 years ago, um, I left Louisville and went to YWAM, Arkansas, a little bait, not a little, it was actually a pretty big base in northwest part of Arkansas, and there I got to meet Andy Landers and Carmelita, who wasn't Carmelita Landers then, she was in, in the, a student with us, and Andy Landers was my small group leader 30-something years ago, and in fact, I brought with me a postcard, actually, that he sent to me right after our phase one of training. So this is a postcard that was sent 30 years ago. Um, and in this postcard, uh, he just encourages me to keep following the Lord. And then he put on there uh, a scripture verse that's uh, it's Philippians 1.6 that says this, being confident of this, which means we're not kind of hoping this is true, maybe it's true, sort of wishing. No, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Man, that's a good word. And guess what? 30 years later, he's still working on me. The Lord, not Andy. That's a, maybe Andy too, but he, I'm, anyway. Um, and so you never know who God places in your life where you might be in 30 years. And you might be working in the kingdom together. So be nice to people in your small group. That's my word to the wowamers um, or your life group or whatever. But um, it's been about 14 years now that uh, YWAM Louisville uh, has been on our campus. Um, and it was, uh, you guys were here last weekend and kind of heard that story. So I won't repeat that whole story of how it came to be. But I, I just want to say in front of all the YWAMers that are here and the rest of New Life Church that I think it's one of the greatest blessings that as we as a church have that we get to be a part of a kingdom mandate to make disciples who make disciples. Yeah. Right? And, and I've told some of the higher-up people in YWAM that uh, if they want me to come and speak to another pastor somewhere on the earth uh, who is maybe thinking, should we kind of do this kind of thing with YWAM, I would love to go talk to them. Because I think a lot of pastors and churches think about what it costs them. They don't think about all the joy they get to be a part of. And I would love to speak to other pastors and just tell them what they're missing out on the joy, like every time YWAM leads, you know, they go to Egypt or, you know, Ukraine or wherever, and they're leading somebody to Jesus, we got a piece of that. Because that's how it is in the kingdom. We're, we're together in that. Um, and so every young person that gets discipled and sent out, we, we, we got to give into that. And so I'm so grateful for that. I consider it one of the best blessings uh, that New Life Church has that we get to share in that. And so our brother Andy Landers is going to come and share. And so will you welcome him? Give a real big New Life Church welcome to Andy Landers. Thanks, Tim. Love you, buddy. Thanks, Tim. So, you know, last weekend at the 40th anniversary celebration, I was asked to introduce our missions video, and I played a role in uh, making that missions video. And at some point in the video, I rattled off lots of names of people that New Life Church had sent to YWAM over the years. And somehow, I missed one of the most important names. And I don't know how I did that, but I thought it would be okay because right before that video played, we were exhorted not to be offended if our name didn't get mentioned. But uh, I'm really trying to make up for that mistake this morning. So in addition to the fact that I, I, I can confirm that Pastor Tim did spend the better part of a year 
and YWAM. I actually have a photographic evidence this morning. If we could uh, share here. Tim and I. Now just for the record, that's, the most, that's not the most incriminating photo I have from that season, Tim. Uh, we were a lot younger then and uh, obviously a, a lot thinner, but I, I think we would all agree that we're a lot smarter now. But seriously, uh, Pastor Tim is not only a great pastor who I'm honored to have as my pastor, but aside from his role as pastor, he's one of the most trustworthy men I know. And I know a lot of men. So thanks for being a man of God, Tim. We love and appreciate you. And New Life Church, what an honor it is for us as YWAM Louisville to be here with you today. What we have in our partnership here is not only beautiful, but it's actually quite rare. And as I discuss with my uh, colleagues who are ministry leaders in YWAM around the world, our partnership here with New Life Church, they're astonished at the way we're able to work together and be fruitful together. And you know, that's really the key, is that we're producing fruit for the kingdom. It's not about YWAM Louisville, it's not about New Life Church, it's about God's heart for the entire world, for every man and woman and boy and girl. And to date, because of this partnership, because of your generosity, because you give us this launching pad, we've been able to train over 570 young missionaries here on this campus who've gone to dozens of nations of nations around the globe. So thank you for continuing to open your campus to us at YOM Louisville. It's a beautiful thing. So in the summer of 1991, I was a young, very young YWAM leader, and I was given a responsibility to help lead a YWAM team to the nation of El Salvador. And as I recall, there were about 45 people on this team. My wife, Carmelita, was a part of that team. Tim was a part of that team. And one of my main responsibilities as we prepared to go was to help the team get ready with their fundraising, to make sure every individual on the team had the necessary funds to go to El Salvador. We were going to be there probably about six weeks, and it was going to cost thousands of dollars. And as the day came, was quickly approaching the due date for all the funds to be in, we realized that probably about half the team didn't have the money to go. And that was a little nerve-wracking. It was a little nerve-wracking because we believed everybody should go, and this team had already been together for the best part of a year, training together, serving on other outreaches, and we knew we had good things waiting for us in El Salvador, and we wanted everything to go, everybody to go. And so uh, here I am, the staff member who was responsible to make sure everybody raised their money. And the day came when we we're going to have a meeting together. Everybody knew in this one meeting we're going to talk about what we're going to do. Because this is the cutoff date. Half the team didn't have their money. So who gets to go? Who doesn't get to go? What are we going to do? And I'm feeling the pressure. And so early that morning, before that meeting, I take a, a walk out on those dirt roads around the YWAM base there in Elm Springs, Arkansas. And I'm crying out to God, and I'm saying, God, we have a financial need, and either you have to meet the need or you've got to give us wisdom because half these people aren't set to go. What do we do, God? And as I've walked and prayed, I thankfully remembered that when we have a question, God's probably already spoken about that kind of situation in his word. So I had my Bible with me, and as I was praying and listening to God, I was opening my Bible, and I was reading 
And the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, led me to the book of Acts. And in those early chapters of Acts, there's a whole lot going on with the early church. And you know, in Acts chapter 2, there's the coming of the Holy Spirit in the first part of Acts chapter 2. And then the middle part of Acts chapter 2, you've got this amazing gospel message where Peter is proclaiming Jesus, calling people to repentance. And many people, 3,000 people, give their hearts to God that day in faith and are baptized and come into the kingdom. And then when we get to the latter part of Acts chapter 2, you've got these interesting verses here, starting at verse 42 of Acts 2. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their property and possessions and share with them all to the extent that anyone had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I'd read those passages before, but remember, I'm reading them today saying, God, what are we going to do about this money problem? And as I read those passages, I see that there's something going on there about money, about finances, about generosity. So I continue to listen to the Lord, and I continue reading Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. And when I get to the last part of Acts chapter 4, in verse 32, it says something very similar. It says, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was on them all, for there was not a needy person among them. For all who owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So here we have it. I'm seeking God about this financial need. He leads me to these passages in Acts. There's these amazing passages about unity in the body, about the power of the Holy Spirit to use the body, about all this life of the new church. And then there's these passages about money and about generosity. And I'm saying, Lord, are you saying to me what I think you're saying to me? Are you saying to me that I'm supposed to go into that meeting and call those team members who have already raised their funds to take up the need of those who have yet to raise their funds. And the Lord assured me that that is exactly what he was saying. And it scared me to death. And it scared me because you and I both know how people get when you start talking about money. Especially how, what, what, what we get like when preachers start talking about giving money. I'm like, Lord, I hear you saying that. But I don't want to be the one to deliver the message. <clears throat> so I gathered my courage and I walked into the room where everyone was gathered knowing we were going to talk about this need. Knowing that we were going to find out what's going to happen with half our team. And as I stood before them getting ready to share nervously what I had heard from the Lord, I was really glad when I saw one hand in the back of the room raised. And it was a young team member by the name of Nancy. And Nancy raised her hand and said, Andy, before you start, can I share something? And I thought to myself, yes, please buy me some time. 
So Nancy raised her hand and she said, I know we're here today to talk about the fact that only half of us have our money, but I've been seeking the Lord about that. And the Lord led me to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. And when I read how the early church dealt with these things, then I felt like the Lord was saying that we're all to take up the need. And if none of us have the, if all of us, if not all of us have the money to go, none of us goes until all of us have it. And I thought to myself, thank you, God, you speak to me. So courage welled up within me that God had confirmed this. And just before I was uh, about to share then, after Nancy, another hand went up, and it was a young man named Kelly. And Kelly said, yeah, I can confirm that God spoke the same thing to me. And he went on to share how God had led him to the same thing. You guys know the Lord speaks to us? So I stood before them and I said, yeah, thank God that Nancy and, and Kelly had heard the same things. I shared those verses out of Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. We didn't really have a plan on how to do it. We just said, hey, unless all of us have the money to go, none of us are going. And at that point, even those who had already raised all their money started raising money on behalf of everybody else. People started emptying their bank accounts, their piggy banks. They started selling things. They started making fundraising phone calls to others. And in that very first day, we saw $10,000 come in. And in just a short amount of time, everything was provided and there was not a needy person among us. And not only that, we were very unified. As a matter of fact, we may have been as unified as any team I've ever been on up to that point. And when we arrived in El Salvador, we had an extraordinary anointing on our ministry. One of the projects we were doing in El Salvador was Bible distribution, where we would get together in groups of about four or five YWAMers. And on this particular day, we were out in kind of a rural area on the outskirts of the capital city, San Salvador. And we'd go up and down the roads and come to houses. And when we found a house, we would give them a copy of God's word. We would share the gospel with them. We would pray for them. And this is what we were doing as part of our ministry there. And on one particular day, there was a, a young man on one of the teams by the name of Randy White. And Randy was from Texan, Texas, and he was a classic Texan. Cowboy hat, boots, big uh, belt buckles, uh, southern draw accent. And he was a new Christian, but is really zealous for the Lord. And so as Randy and his team come up to this one particular house, they notice out in front of this house is an elderly man sitting, and the man had a broken leg. And we're not talking about a sprained ankle. His leg was swollen and mangled, full, broken leg, and he was in pain. And so Randy, being... This new zealous Christian said, I'm going to pray for this guy. So Randy prayed a simple prayer of healing for this man's leg. And suddenly, the swelling went down. And the man jumped to his feet and starts jumping around on this leg and says, I'm healed, I'm healed. And he runs out down the road to his neighbor's to all the houses around yelling, I'm healed, I'm healed, look what God did. And about that time, our other Bible distribution teams were finishing up from their areas. I think, Tim, you were on one of those teams coming back to that scene. And a crowd was gathering, 
And all of these neighbors were watching this guy who they knew had had a broken leg saying, I'm healed, I'm healed. And then the crowd turns to the rest of our team members and says, pray for me too. Pray for me too. During this time in El Salvador, the civil war there was just finishing. And as a matter of fact, uh, everywhere we would go, you'd see soldiers. There would often be roadblocks. Sometimes in the evenings, you could hear bomb blasts in the distance. And then right after that, our, our lights would go out. But in spite of the fact that there was still a civil war going on, we had a lot of favor with the government. And we were actually invited into military bases to give gospel presentations, to do evangelistic dramas and preach the gospel. And we had uh, such favor, these commanding officers would call all of their soldiers together. We would set up in front of them with sound systems, present the good news of Jesus, give altar calls, go out into the crowds and pray for people. And so many of those soldiers came to the Lord that way. And I remember seven years after this outreach was over, I was in contact with one of my colleagues who's uh, one of the YWAM leaders in El Salvador, and he said, hey, Andy, do you remember when you guys did all those meetings on those military bases and that one particular base where all those young soldiers came to the Lord? I'm like, yeah. He said, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but on that day when those soldiers came to the Lord, there was a Bible study started among those soldiers. And that Bible study has continued now and is still going on that military base seven years later. You guys, this outreach was anointed. It was fruitful. It was changing things. God used us. So why do I take the time to tell all that lengthy story about that outreach team? I tell you those stories because all of us know that for the most part, we live in a world that's really broken. We live in a needy world. We live in a world full of sickness and godlessness pain and injustice and poverty and dysfunction and we know that that's not how God intends it to be and for the most part as believers we long for that to change don't we we hope something will happen and hopefully we want to be a part of that change hopefully the cry of our heart is God I want to be a part of something that makes a difference I want to be a part of something God that changes the world. You know, when you and I walk with the Lord and we walk in His ways, we're changed. And it's from that interchange and how we live that we'll see the world changed. And that's why I've titled our message today, How We'll Change the World. And I, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to suggest that it'll be easy. And I'm not trying to suggest, you know, simple one, two, three steps. This is how we'll change the world or some kind of magical formula. But there's elements from God's word, particularly those verses we read from Acts, that I think are hard to ignore. There's things there that if we give heed to them and consider them, we might find that God will move us in such a way that we'll see change in this world. So I want to talk about a few of those things that we see in those verses this morning. And I think it's important before I get into some of the details to say there's a, there's a lot there we can't talk about because of time. One of the most important things there is the foundation of the fact that these believers were full of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not here this morning to try to give a whole teaching on being full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I, I do know from personal experience there's a couple of things 
that happen in my life that promote being full of the Holy Spirit. And they're pretty simple, actually. I know I'm most full of the Holy Spirit when I simply ask to be full of the Holy Spirit. And I also know I'm full of the Holy Spirit when I choose to empty myself of myself. So taking that as a foundation this morning, I want to go into pointing out just a few of the things that we see happening here in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. So the first thing that I want to point out is that the gospel is proclaimed. We know that our Christianity is to be lived, right? We hear it all the time. We hear people tell us to be a good example and to love one another. And we want to be salt and light to one another. But my friends, the gospel is also meant to be spoken out. The gospel must be proclaimed. I, I wonder if sometimes we drift into the idea that all we have to do to change the world is be nice and be a good example. I wonder if sometimes we drift into the idea that, you know, if I just invite people to church, then maybe Pastor Tim or, 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 or Seth will win them to the Lord. But you see, we're called to actually open our mouths and be proclaimers about the good news. Several years ago, I was listening to one of our young YWAMers talk about his time overseas on an outreach, and he said, you know, I was in such and such a place, and uh, there were a lot of non-Christians there, and uh, all I did was smile at them, and I just knew that they knew the love of God because I smiled at them. And I thought to myself, no, they didn't. All they knew from that is that you were happy, and they didn't even know why. You guys, I teach our YWAMers, we're to be servants, we're to be salt and light, we're to love one another sacrificially, but we are to open our mouths and proclaim the gospel. In Romans 10, 14, it says, how can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? Everybody say, I'm a preacher. We're preachers. We're proclaimers. We're called to open our mouth and speak about Jesus. And that'll be one of the things that helps change the world. Another thing we see in those stories from Acts is in chapter 2, verse 42, where we're told that they were continually devoting themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. Now there's a lot there, but if I could... Just let me comment for a minute on the continual devoting ourselves to prayer. I'll never forget, as a young Christian, reading the words of Jesus when he taught on prayer and having the revelation that Jesus puts a lot of weight in our persistence in prayer. And if you really want to see this, read the story from Luke chapter 11 where he's teaching about prayer and he tells about a man who comes to his neighbor asking for bread. And Jesus actually instructs us about prayer there that we're not to just ask, but we're to ask and keep on asking. To seek and keep on seeking. To knock and keep on knocking. And not to give up, to be persistent in prayer. When Carmelita and I heard God speak to us about pioneering the ministry of YWAM Louisville, I never pioneered anything. And I didn't have any staff that were with me. It was just Carmelita and I. We certainly didn't have any money to pioneer anything. No personal money, no... Uh, ministry money. So we did the only thing we knew to do to start YOM Louisville. We prayed, and we prayed persistently. 
we made a decision that every evening we were going to take a walk and we were going to pray together. And we were going to cry out to God, God, you've got to send a staff. If you've called us to pioneer this ministry, you've got to, you've got to bring people to us, Lord. God, we've got to have finances. God, we've got to have your wisdom. We didn't, actually, when the vision first started, when we were praying these prayers, we didn't even know we were coming to Louisville, Kentucky. God just told us to multiply the, the ministry of YWAM. So God, where do you want to send us? So every evening we're crying out, God, you've got to send these things. You've got to lead us in this way. And we did that the next night, and the next night, and the next night. And we did it for months and months and months. Persistence in prayer. If you'd been standing next to the road there listening to us, you'd have thought, is this all these people know how to say? Because we were bringing those things to God over and over and over again. And God answered. And he provided the people. And he provided the location. And he's provided all of our needs. And he's led us. And we've seen the 570 plus young people trained as missions and going into hundreds of nations. Maybe not hundreds at this point, but going into dozens of nations. And God has heard our prayers, and he puts a lot of weight in our persistence. How's your persistence? Still to this day, if you come to our house at 5.30 in the morning, which I hope you won't do, but if you come to our house at 5.30 most mornings, you'll hear Carmelita and I being persistent. And we're saying, Lord, we need you to work in the lives of our friends. We're calling on him for our children. We're calling on him for the nations. We're calling on him for New Life Church, for our friends who are sick. And we're doing it over and over again. Not to be a broken record, but God said, don't give up. Don't give up. How's your persistence? You know, when I teach this to our YWAMers, I think they get annoyed with me. Because I do a little illustration to remind us of how we need to not give up. And how God's called us to knock. And our prayers need to sound something like this. Lord, here I am again. I'm bringing you that same thing, Lord. We need you to answer, God. You said this is your will. We're asking you to move. I'm not going anywhere, Lord, because you're faithful and you're true. And here I am, Lord. And I'm going to be knocking like this today and tonight and tomorrow and next month and next week because you're the one that said be persistent. How's our persistence? You guys have some things on your heart you want the Lord to do. How's your persistence? Don't give up. The next thing I hope we'll notice out of those verses is the radical generosity. These believers were selling their houses and giving money to other believers who had needs. Wouldn't you call that pretty radical generosity? Anybody getting nervous yet? Now, I know New Life Church and, and YWAMers to be very generous people, so please don't take this as any kind of effort at fundraising or correction. But when we talk about this subject, I talk about it because I've seen the power of God through radical generosity. Because He doesn't only meet people's needs. Do you realize there's more in our generosity than just meeting a financial need? Something has changed within us. Something has changed in the spirit realm. When I heard God speak to me about serving in missions many years ago, actually the biggest challenge within myself and the biggest pushback I got from other people was about money. 
I said, God, I'm, I'm willing to serve you and be a missionary, but YWAMers don't get paid, Lord. What about the money? And I had other people say to me, oh, you want to be a missionary, that's a good thing. But you know, one of these days you're going to have a family. And you're going to want to provide for them in such a way, how are you going to provide for your family? And I stand here before you now with the testimony of it that for 33 years, I've been serving the Lord without a salary. And that's not the only way to do it or the most spiritual way to do it. It's just how God's called me to do it. And at every turn, every month, every year, every season, God has provided everything we need. And God has dealt with me about finances more in the area of my own personal generosity than he ever has about the area of fundraising. You see, God does something within us when we let him have control of our finances. It's not to say there haven't been lean times. I remember washing my clothes in a bathtub sometimes. But I also remember the times of abundance, having more than, than what I ever thought we would have. Here's what we need to know is important about this area, you guys. God deals with me about provision in the same way he deals with you about provision. And that is that we must remember that he alone is our source. It's whether we have a $200,000 salary or a $20,000 salary or no salary at all. He alone is our source. And when we remember that and we put our trust in him and him alone, then we can be radically, radically generous. And when we're radically generous, we'll change the world. We might think, I don't have much money. It's not going to change anything. Oh, my friends, it's not about the amount of money we have. It's about the fact that God himself is a giver. And when we put ourselves in the position of reflecting him in our giving, it's always about trust. See, when God calls us to give, for me it's not a matter of do I want to be generous or not. It's a matter of do I trust him enough that I can give what I have and tomorrow he'll still meet my need. And I'm here to tell you, he's trustworthy like that. He's trustworthy like that. And our generosity changes something because the spirit of generosity is different than the spirit of this world and it breaks something in the spirit realm. And I want to affirm the generosity we've been on the receiving end of from New Life Church over the years. And like Tim often says, your, your battles here at New Life are our battles at YWAM Louisville and your victories are our victories. And I think you guys have exemplified a kingdom mentality of saying what we have is the Lord's. And may we all do that in our hearts and honor God with our trust and see Him change the world through it. Last thing I want to point out this morning about those stories from Acts is that believers were together in one heart, one mind, in unity. Oh, my friends, God loves unity. So much so that Psalm 133 says that when we dwell together in unity, God commands his blessing. But here's the deal. Unity is not something that just happens. Sometimes we want unity, but we get a little passive about what it takes to have unity. I've led or been a part of many, many missionary teams around the world, and oftentimes I'll have someone come to me on one of our teams and say something like, Andy, I think we, we have a unity problem. Or we really need to pray for team unity. 
And what that usually means is, hey, me and someone else on the team aren't getting along. You should go straighten them out. And I've learned that uh, oftentimes a good response to that is to agree, yes, we need to pray for unity and we should do that, but why don't you ask the Lord if there's something specific you need to go and humble yourself about? Because, my friends, if we want corporate unity, it's going to require individual humility. And have you noticed that we have a unity problem in this world, in the United States, in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm not even going to ask if you notice if we have a unity problem at YWAM Louisville or New Life Church. But what about in our families? What about in our workplaces? What about among our friends? In the last few years, we've, we've had a virus problem and we've had a politics problem and our race problem has been on display. But at the core of it, we have a unity problem, which means we have a pride problem. And the answer is for each of us to say, Lord, how do you want me to humble myself? You see, if we're looking for the other person to change the unity problem, we're never going to have unity. But if we're like, God, how do you want me to walk in humility? Then we'll see something change. Jesus actually addressed this in Matthew chapter 5. In verses 23 and 24, he said, If you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, whoo, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Do you realize the king of the universe who deserves all of our worship actually at one point in his teaching says, stop worshiping me and go and do something else first. This is where God's priorities are when it comes to our unity. You know, when I really think about it, uh, our entire lives are to be worshiping to God. So I don't read this verse and think to myself, oh, that only applies when we're in a worship service or when we're singing a worship song. I think a better way to think of it is if I am a disciple of Jesus and I am going about my life as a disciple of Jesus and I have broken relationship with someone, I need to first stop and reconcile, make that my main priority. How are we doing in unity? This is heavy sauce this morning. Last couple of years have been tough on our unity, friends. I can't sit back and hope you'll change and make us unified. I have to humble myself. I think a lot about how God feels about our unity, and when I think about that, I'm reminded of something that happened in our family uh, just a few years after we moved to Louisville. Carmelita and I have raised two wonderful children, and they've gone with us around the world in missions, and they both individually love God and are serving God in missions. And actually, they love one another. But if you're a parent, you know that there's times when your children are younger, especially that it may not seem like they love one another. And I remember a time, not long after we came to Louisville, we were driving down Westport Road, headed back to the house here, and our, our children were bickering a little bit in the back seat. And I spoke up, as a dad should, and I said, hey, you guys, cut it out. 
And it continued. And I said, hey, stop that. And they continued to bicker. And so when we got to the corner of Westport and Goose Creek Road down here, I pulled into the parking lot there next to the Goose Creek Diner, and I got out of my car, and I walked around to the other door, and I opened the door and asked one of my children to get out. And they thought they knew what was about to happen, but that's not what happened. I said, you get out, and I said, Carmelita, you take the other one, and you drive on to the house. We'll walk the rest of the way. And I chose that day to walk the rest of the way with one of my children because I don't really want to be around my children when they're fighting with one another. And isn't that what we see reflected in Scripture about God? That He loves us, but He wants us to love one another. He is the same way. Real unity is costly. It requires this deep humility we've been talking about. It requires us to empty ourselves and lay down often our rights to be right. I'm so grateful for my dear friend and mentor, Steve Sizemore, who's taught me so much about humility. And many years ago, Steve taught me that if I'm going to be in unity with others, it may require me taking responsibility for unity, even if the disunity wasn't my fault. And one of the ways Steve taught me to do that and modeled that for so many of us was by teaching us to use five simple and powerful words. Will you please forgive me? You see, taking responsibility for unity, even if the disunity wasn't my fault, is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. And because of that, you and I have the grace to do it as well. And when we do that, my friends, we will change the world. I want to ask our worship team to come on back up, and we're going to start to wrap things up here. And as these guys come up, I wonder, would you just stand with me as we... Get ready to conclude things this morning. There's a lot of talk these days about revival. And sometimes I'm not sure we know exactly what we're praying for and what we're talking about when we pray for revival and we talk about wanting revival. I can think of two times in my lifetime. One, when I was a teenager not long after I came to the Lord and there were some things happening in my home church and I was working at a neighborhood grocery store and there was so much happening in my home church that people would come into the grocery store and say, hey, you go to that church, don't you? I hear what's happening there. I think you guys are having revival. And another time was just in the months right before we came to YWAM Louisville as we were preparing our own hearts to come and pioneer this ministry. But here's my observation about revival. I think it always starts with one person taking action on something they know God's saying, but something they're really scared to do. So let me ask us this morning, what is God saying to us? Has God spoken anything to us this morning? Has he put his finger on anything? Is he highlighting anything to us? You know, I, I train our YWAM staff that we're not just to be hearers of the word we're to be doers and it's not enough just to have good teaching 
but we need to have application. Are you guys want to act like some YWAMers this morning? Are you guys willing to maybe be a little bit vulnerable this morning in our conclusion? You guys want to do that? So individually, let's ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have for me? I mean, we've talked about proclaiming the gospel. We've talked about persistent prayer. We've talked about generosity. We've talked about unity. Certainly there's something in there for us to take action on. So Holy Spirit, would you just reveal that to us? What's your action item for me, Lord? Some of you know exactly what it is. You know the Lord's already just confirming something He's been speaking to you. So as we finish this morning, I wonder if we would take a, a real step of humility and we'd be willing to share that with someone else. I wonder if you could look around and find someone either right next to you or down the row or a couple aisles over or someone in here that you feel comfortable with. Just going to as a first step of humility and saying, hey, I know this is something the Lord's speaking to me about this morning and this is how the Lord wants me to take action on it.